0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations.
1: You're listening to the ERLC podcast.
0: And I'll be sure to, in the show notes, link to the... To, oh my word, why can't I don't want to say link twice. And we'll be sure in the show notes to lead to the discussion, to link... Oh, gosh. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me this week with major world events going on is Brent Leatherwood. Brent Leatherwood.
1: That's right, Lindsay. And for the second week in a row, we kind of have to change up the typical format of how we like to do our podcast by leading off with some you know witty banter and then going right into the things that the RLC is covering. Because uh, just like last week, this week, important events have uh, really overtaken our program. So overnight on Wednesday for us and Thursday morning, first thing in Ukraine, the long-anticipated Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, began. So NBC News reports this. Russia launched attacks on Ukraine from multiple fronts Thursday in a dramatic escalation that saw cities bombarded from the air and forces battling on the ground. The broad offensive, which Kiev said had already killed dozens of soldiers and several civilians, plunged Europe into one of its gravest security crises since World War II. The first blasts rang out just minutes after Russian President Vladimir Putin gave a televised speech Wednesday evening saying that he was authorizing military action. He warned other countries that if they tried to intervene— They would face a Russian response, quote, so severe that no foreign nations have ever experienced it before. So we have talked about this possibility and the Russian buildup here on the ERLC podcast for several weeks now. And uh, it is now here. And it is just as concerning and horrifying as uh, we all imagined it would be.
0: Brent, you know, it's hard for, I guess, people like me who have not grown up, you know, under the Cold War and have not grown up in a time of intense war. I mean, I know there was the war in Iraq, and that is just horrible and devastating. But I've seen a lot of people online say that we just, this generation cannot grasp what could happen as a result of this. And so I was hoping that maybe you could explain to me Listeners of my generation, you know, what what some of the consequences of this President Putin's invasion of Ukraine could be for the world and for us as Americans.
1: Right. Well, so just to give a sense of how broad this attack is, the Ukrainian President Zelensky, he said this in a speech, we are being attacked from the south, the north, the east and from the air. We are giving away weapons, and we will continue doing so to anyone who will ask for it in order to protect our sovereignty. Our future depends on each and every citizen. So what he is telling us there is that essentially he is calling upon every Ukrainian uh, who is willing and able to fight to now come out in support of the effort to defend uh, Ukraine against Russia which you're right we haven't seen this type of broad military action in ages um where one country is seemingly bent on completely overtaking uh, a sovereign neighbor there have been a number of incursions uh, that have happened over the the last 30 uh, odd years or so since the end of the cold war Foreign Affairs Magazine has a a rundown I was reading through yesterday that actually talks about that. Like, for Americans, we tend to think in terms of broad, large-scale war efforts uh, akin to what we saw in World War II. Uh, But there have been these smaller incursions that have taken place, and generally those involve islands, or you know, small bits of territory, or even something that the largest uh, most recently was the Russian annexation of Crimea, which is a part of Ukraine, and they did that in 2014. We haven't seen something like this in, in quite some time, and I, I think you know it's very clear that what Russia is anticipating doing is likely capturing President Zelensky of Ukraine and installing. Uh, pro-Russian government in Kyiv. And uh, ultimately, that's what they want. They they want to make Ukraine a satellite state of Russia uh, because uh, we just have to take Vladimir Putin at his own words. Just a, a few years ago, he said that the greatest global catastrophe of the 20th century was the downfall of the Soviet Russian Republic. That, he thinks, is actually what was the biggest loss of the 20th century. Not the extermination of 7 million Jews and 3 million other uh, individuals in Nazi Germany. Uh, not the hundreds of millions of lives lost by uh, Soviet communists. Uh, I mean, it, it, it is incredible that he thinks that the USSR disbanding is actually the Greatest global catastrophe that that should be illuminating for us, and it should forecast what his designs are. Because I, I would submit his appetite uh, here is uh, far larger than just obtaining Ukraine.
0: You know, I've only watched some clips so far, and it looks like something out of a movie. You know, like something that we're not accustomed to seeing, and we've seen it in movies from World War II, et cetera, but. It's quite terrifying, and it's important for us to remember the human toll in the midst of this, the Russian citizens who maybe don't agree, the Ukrainians who might lose their lives, and it's just really tragic. We're going to have pieces up as things unfold, and and we can do um, what we can as a ministry to help explain this to Christians and to the church. We have a piece about praying for Ukraine that we put out before this invasion happened. And we also have an explainer that I'll link to that explains what happened to the lead up to this invasion. So keep checking our our social media and our website for updates.
1: Right. And the the next step that we're all awaiting is uh, how severe and what types of sanctions are levied uh, against Russia for this invasion. So America has already put in place uh, multiple sanctions uh, hitting various parts of the Russian regime. President Biden has now promised that the sanctions that are forthcoming, now that the invasion has actually occurred and is underway, that the new sanctions that are coming will be even more severe and more widely felt by the Russian populace. And America is being joined in that by the United Kingdom, France. Uh, other uh, Western countries that apparently will severely cripple Russia. It's yet to be seen exactly what they are and whether they will have that intended effect. But we should learn something by about 1230 on Thursday when President Biden is scheduled to address the nation uh, about this illegal Russian uh, invasion.
0: Which my my heart goes out to the Russian people in the midst of that because of the way that they will suffer uh, because of their basically dictator Putin, who uh, just only has a mind for himself and not for uh, the welfare of his citizens. So thank you for that helpful update. And like I said, we will continue to provide some articles in order to help you to understand how Christians should think about this. You know, Brent, just to add a little levity to this situation. uh, I mean, there's no levity to the situation, but there's just been so much heavy and hard news lately. And, you know, I was thinking there was the whole Y2K craze, you know, when we we entered 2000 and people were just preparing for the world to end. I feel like instead of Y2K, we should have prepared for Y2MM11, which I had to look that up what the Roman numerals were for for, uh, 22. But uh, Y2MM11 is proving to be much more distressing than Y2K, if I do say so myself.
1: Well, yeah. And uh, I remember the the memes at the top of the year when it first began, (laughs) reminding everybody that 2022 can also be spelled 2020-T-O-O as if we're going to live through another nightmarish year. And um, unfortunately, it does seem like we are getting that. You know, I would think, not to swing it necessarily back more serious and not even necessarily more biblical, although I, I think it's true, uh, this is yet another reminder that uh, human depravity is real, and it has real costs in terms of lives and real consequences. And um, it is just so lamentable that Genesis 3 ever occurred.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and, the, and wars and rumors of wars, mm. as the Lord has told us, will continue to worsen until he comes back to make all things new and pray that he would hasten that day. So before we move into some more culture content, what we want to do is address what the ERLC has been talking about. And in addition to pieces that we put up in the past about Ukraine, I wanted to highlight a few other things. One of those is actually an event, not necessarily a article-type resource. And this was a Pursuing Unity event that, Brent, you hosted on Wednesday and Baptist Press has covered. And it was titled, Pursuing Unity, a Discussion of Racial Reconciliation Efforts and the SBC. And this featured Ed Litton, the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention, John Kelly, a Chicago pastor, Fred Luter, former president of the SBC, and Missy Branch, who is in leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And Brent, I want you to— Tell us more about it, what stood out to you. But what stood out to me is this quote that Baptist Press highlighted from Pastor John Kelly, and it really resonated with me. And it said—there's a couple I'll read to you—but it says, It doesn't matter how many books you read, how many conferences you go to, none of that will do better than dinner table ministry. The biggest challenge we have is when we talk about racial reconciliation, we want the fruit of reconciliation without the relationships. He says, until our dinner tables become diversified, you can't hire this away. You can't appoint this away. Until we eat bread together and fellowship together, we won't make any progress. And that's so true. And what that is, is indicative of not, like he says, hire this away, appoint this away, just like a a legal change, but it's indicative of a heart change, a heart that really wants to live in this way and love our brothers and sisters who are not exactly like us
1: man that that truth from pastor john kelly is just so good and it is uh convicting in many ways uh that we do want the fruit of reconciliation without the relationships and uh i'm i'm thankful that there are pastors and leaders out there just like john who are pursuing relationships because he knows that that's how we're going to bridge some of these gaps that are out there so if take a step back from that you know, we arranged this online event to feature some some very specific voices, or I should I guess I should say voices that represent just kind of various parts of our convention. So we wanted obviously a, an officer of the convention, Dr. Ed Litton. He's the SBC president. He has a heart for pursuing racial unity. So of course, it would make sense that that he be there. We wanted someone who's a veteran uh, of the pulpit. Uh, who can speak with some real wisdom uh, from just having done this for so long. And so, of course, former SBC president, Pastor Fred Luter, uh, was a natural person to extend an invitation to. I mean, his SBC presidency was history-making as the the first black SBC president back in 2012. So, of course, uh, he's there. Uh, we wanted someone— who uh, could fulfill a role of speaking from um, our entities, and uh, and also a, a female perspective? And my goodness, did Missy Branch provide that? She is stellar, and just the the pearls of wisdom uh, that she dropped uh, were incredible. And and uh, she brought so much to this conversation. And then, of course, John Kelly. Uh, he is a Nam Church planner, and he is out there leading. In the direction where our convention is going, uh, it, it's going beyond our traditional footprint uh, of being mostly uh, in southern states and doing incredible kingdom work in what I would imagine is a fairly challenging environment in Chicago. As a matter of fact, I don't even have to imagine it. John himself has said that pastoring in that kind of environment, planting a church in that environment, uh, you you are tilling. Some real rough ground at times. And so I think this collection of leaders uh, from around the SBC at various levels of the convention doing ministry in completely different contexts, they all added such richness to a conversation that admittedly is difficult, uh, but it is one that the Bible calls us to. And uh, this was honestly, this was probably the event that I, I am just. So thrilled that we have done over the last few years and uh, was thrilled to be a part of it, even if it was just essentially moderating the conversation and being able to listen uh, to what these leaders could provide.
0: And we'll be sure to link to the discussion on YouTube Uh, if listeners only knew how many times it took me to get that particular sentence out. Uh, We're so grateful for those individuals, for the time that they have taken to talk with us, to educate us, to encourage us. We're thankful for their ministry. We're thankful for the ministry of all the people who haven't necessarily been hosted in a discussion on YouTube, but who are just working behind the scenes silently because they have a heart for racial unity. And you know, along those lines, I wanna highlight two other articles for you that we had on our site this week. Uh, the first is, is by Jason Thacker, and it's titled, Why Christians Must Pursue Biblically Defined Justice, Christian Social Ethics, the Gospel, and the Imago Day." And these are the two main points that he makes. And this it really lines up for with our event, um, that there really is no choice for a Christian to pursue racial unity. It is a justice issue, and our God is a God of justice. So, first, Jason says, biblically grounded social justice is central to the gospel message being rooted in the Imago Day. So because we are all made in the image of God, we all deserve to be recognized for the inherent dignity that our God has bestowed upon us. And secondly, downplaying social justice or failing to address the outworkings of sin in our society is a repudiation of the Christian social ethic. And so we we cannot fail to address justice issues or the way sin has affected our societies. Yes, there are going to be uh, different opinions on how we pursue these things, but there should not be differing opinions on whether or not we should pursue these things, because once again, it is very clear in Scripture. A second piece I wanted to highlight of someone who did pursue this kind of work is a piece by Pastor Alan Cross out of Alabama, and it's titled, Why We Should Be Thankful for Caesar Blackwell, the Alabama Baptist Slave Preacher, Montgomery, the Bus Boycott, and the Civil Rights Movement. I thought this article was fascinating. Alan has a heart for racial unity because in his town, he saw what kind of racial divisions were still there even after something like the bus boycott. Which started with you know Rosa Parks uh, refusing to give up her seat, and this took place in Montgomery. And Alan was wondering how how is this the case? How did uh, a place with such racial division uh, become a place that the civil rights movement was birthed out of? And he traced uh, a gentleman named Lee Comper. I think is maybe how you would say it. He was an English Baptist missionary that came over in the eighteen hundreds, and he. His ministry lined up with a slave preacher, Caesar Blackwell, and Caesar Blackwell um, preached and ministered to um, a gentleman named Nathan Ashby, who also had an incredible impact in the area. And then he just traces how these these seeds were planted in the Black church, and they were watered, and they were grown, and they were tilled, and, and it just birthed this civil rights movement because these people had such a heart for the Lord and for the Lord's word and for what the outworkings of that might look like. And that would look like justice and equality and dignity for every man and woman, regardless of skin color. So I would encourage you to check out these two pieces as well as watch that uh, YouTube discussion.
1: These are great pieces. And uh, obviously this week, uh, despite uh, what is happening uh, over in Eastern Europe with the unjustifiable uh, invasion by Russia of Ukraine. Our focus this week largely has actually been on racial unity and the pursuit of racial unity. And so these pieces complement that focus by the RLC this week. And they're they're just so rich. One tells you why Christians should have a heart uh, for justice and the other gives you a sense of the just historical background of, uh, you know, just the issues that we have long wrestled with in Baptist life. And so I'm thankful that both Jason uh, has written his piece and Alan Cross has written his amazing piece, which I think came in at, at just over 3,000 words. Was that it? Well, that's incredible.
0: Yeah, it was a longer piece. Alan said he thought he was sure that we would cut it down, but I just thought it all fit together so well. And yep. we need to train ourselves to read longer pieces anyway, right? So mm. mm-hmm. that's why I break it up into head- with headings to just yes. help your eyes, to just trace it. There so, you go. You know, actually, all of our pieces this week ended up, minus maybe one that's going to come out on Friday, which is when this podcast is released, ended up being about racial unity in some way, shape, or form, uh, which normally we don't have all of our pieces about the same subject, but that is just how the Lord worked it out. Anyway, I would encourage you to check those pieces out. But for now, Brent, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. And Brent, even though you addressed uh, a big cultural issue, why don't you give us a rundown on some other things that are going on in the world?
1: All right. Thank you for that, Lindsay. And so we'll kind of begin. Our first story touches on some of what we are seeing in Ukraine. So this comes to us from Axios. Global democracy declines for the 16th year annual index finds This is actually something we've referenced previously on the ERLC podcast Uh, From the reporting, freedom around the world declined in 2021 for the 16th consecutive year, according to an annual report from Freedom House, which warns that countries, including China and Russia, are exporting authoritarianism. And we are seeing that in very real ways right now. Quote, the leaders of China, Russia and other dictatorships have succeeded in shifting global incentives, jeopardizing the consensus that democracy is the only viable path to prosperity and security while encouraging more authoritarian approaches to governance, the report says. Of note, 38% of the global population resides in countries that are not free, the highest percentage since 1997, versus only 20% that are living in free countries and 42% in partly free countries. Leaders in some authoritarian leading systems no longer feel the need for a veneer of democracy, the authors write noting the farcical elections last year that took place in both Nicaragua and Russia as examples. There was also a surge of coups that took place in 2021, including in Myanmar, Sudan, and several West African states. So uh, this story hits uh, very coincidentally, uh, given what, what is happening, but it, it just shows that, that right now, it really does seem that democracy is in retreat and uh I, I think that if it's gonna if the tide is gonna turn, uh, it's gonna be up to America to exert some some real leadership on the global stage, which frankly, for the last 10 years has largely been absent.
0: And for all of our faults and foibles, it should make us as Americans thankful for the democracy in our country. As I was laying in bed last night going to sleep, I just told my husband, I said, It's crazy. Can you imagine living in a country where you're fearing for your life where those bombs are going to go off and you've got little kids that you're concerned about. And by and large, that's not what we have to worry about. So yeah, it just makes me thankful. And it should make us as Americans, despite our differences, want to um, seek the welfare of our country and be unified in seeking that welfare.
1: Absolutely. Well, so while we're overseas, uh, let's talk about the Queen Queen Elizabeth, uh, and this comes to us from NBC News. Queen Elizabeth II has postponed two scheduled virtual audiences on Thursday, but will continue with light duties, a Buckingham Palace spokesman said, as the 95-year-old British monarch recovers from COVID-19. Many folks may realize that uh, just a few days ago she tested positive for COVID-19. The queen, who has been fully vaccinated against coronavirus, tested positive for the disease on Sunday when she was said to be suffering from mild cold-like symptoms buckingham palace has said it will not give a running commentary on the condition of elizabeth who celebrated her 70th anniversary of becoming queen this month it did say quote her majesty is continuing with light duties a palace spokesman said adding there were no other engagements planned for this week so Obviously, we hope that the Queen gets uh, through this recovery phase quickly. It, it sounds like her symptoms are, are mild, and we are thankful for that.
0: Don't you think at ninety-five years old, all of your duties would be light? <laughs> Can you?
1: Yeah, I, I would think she's, so. But she is not amazing. The, yeah. yeah, she's not the normal ninety-five-year-old. No, uh, she's
0: got some kind of genetics. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> uh, but we always like to hear that the Queen is on the mend.
1: That's right. I just
0: have such fond memories of London. My dad used to live in England, and we would visit. And so great, so great.
1: Yes. Well, you you are a bit of a a a fan of the the English.
0: Well, just the culture, really. I don't want to be ruled by them, but (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to go back to that. But (laughs) right,
1: exactly. Okay. And uh, for the last story this week, uh, it's a bit of a follow up to to one that we've covered extensively in the past, and this comes to us from CBS News, the Ahmad Arbery. Federal murder trial has concluded. On Tuesday, a jury made up of eight white people, three black people, and one Hispanic person convicted the three men of violating Ahmaud Arbery's civil rights and targeting him because he was black. Uh, The three were also convicted of attempted kidnapping, and the McMichaels, who were a part of this, were found guilty of using a firearm during the commission of a crime. The three individuals, Travis McMichael, his father Gregory McMichael, and their neighbor William Bryan were all convicted of felony murder and other charges in November during the state-level murder trial that took place. So this is the federal murder trial. And while ultimately this isn't the complete justice, uh, it it is justice being served by the courts in this case, and we we should be thankful for that because this was this was a heinous murder that took place in South Georgia.
0: Just absolutely sickening. And you know what is tragic is that there is a time not too long ago in our history when this would just be commonplace and not prosecuted. So, um, yeah, I'm thankful for Ahmad Aubrey's family and friends that they can have some small measure of justice on this earth. Of course, we know and our hope is in God's perfect justice in eternity Uh, but this is just yeah it's just tragic and we should be thankful that this is not by and large this is not something that is commonplace and allowed in our society anymore
1: yeah absolutely absolutely that's a that's probably a good note to end this abbreviated look at uh, this week in culture Lindsay
0: and now it's time for the lunchroom where we tell you what we're talking about with each other Uh, We're going to hopefully try to bring something uh, a little light and a little fun to the lunchroom this week because it's been so so tough. The news has been so hard and so heavy. So one of the things uh, I like to do when I am feeling uh, stressed and when things are tough is eat. (laughs) And I know we are not fans or supporters of gluttony, and it's not necessarily good to eat your feelings, but food is a good gift from God. And so one of my, I'm going to include a recipe here, which is just, you know, interesting. Have you ever had poppy seed chicken, Brent?
1: I don't believe I had Lindsay,
0: well, well, you probably need to have it. One of our colleagues, Liz Bristow, shared this, and um, I've had poppy seed chicken and it's yummy, and it's a great comfort food. What food do you go to when you need to be comforted? Like what's your just comfort meal? comfort meal or you know, or food or whatever I,
1: gonna, I, I love chocolate chip cookies, okay, like fresh chocolate chip cookies,
0: like mm. does Meredith make them or no, no. <laughs> where do you so like no i th-
1: i don't act on my impulse <laughs> but i would love to always have a, a freshly baked chocolate chip cookie chocolate chip
0: cookies okay well what about a place like would do you want to go to cracker barrel and have a good
1: Oh, yeah. Mama's Pancakes meal or... Mm, Yeah, I would would do that now. I would do that even if I wasn't feeling bad. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I pretty much like all food. Anything bad for me is a good comfort meal. Although I do like healthy food, too. Don't get me wrong. So while I'm eating food, I like to also... Escape reality by watching a show, which is also this. None of this says good things about me. I do like <laughs> to spend time with the Lord as well, but, but that's I good. I also wanted to point out uh, to listeners that uh, there is this this uh, subscription through Prime called BritBox. Have you ever heard of this? This goes yes. along with my love for the all things English, not all things, but some things. Which, by the way, I met a girl at Bible study the other day who is a twelfth cousin of. Diana, Princess Diana, and a whatever cousin to William and Harry. This is quite fascinating. Britbox, though, has just certain British shows that you can watch that you can't watch anywhere else. And British crime dramas sometimes are just really, really good. And so I would I would recommend if you haven't seen Shetland, you know, you have to look on IMDB or BD for anything you might need to skip. But Check out BritBox if you're looking for for some things to watch. If you need to be comforted, eat your poppy seed chicken and watch yourself some BritBox.
1: Yeah, your your inner Anglophile is coming out. That's right. Yeah, because you are you you are a true Anglophile. It's because of my childhood. Mm-hmm. My
0: childhood, we'd eat ice lollies in the summer, and ride the train and and drink tea and eat biscuits, digestives. <laughs> is what they were called and. In-
1: Oh, I just good. still have
0: such great memories to this day. Well, there you go. What about you, Brent?
1: Yeah, actually one thing that I'm looking forward to is the return, I mean this this probably, you know, is my inner grandpa kind of coming out, but I'm looking forward to the return of the series Law and Order.
0: Oh, on I am NBC. too. NBC, so
1: it starts yes. uh tonight, later tonight. <gasps> what? And so yeah, I'm I'm just really looking forward to it. they they took it off a few years ago and and just to be clear, like it's not one of the, you know, spin-offs it's the actual return of uh, law and order the the original series and uh, they're even picking up with some of the the previous characters and I just loved those for years I would just watch them in the in the evenings and I just I just really enjoyed how at the beginning you had a crime you had to have the investigation uh, to get all the evidence and then you had some you know the the case itself, and nearly every episode ended with a result of that case, and I just, I, I love those those little,
0: just like real life, right?
1: <laughs> right. Maybe not quite like real life, but uh, it allowed you to just have an hour where you began a story and you ended a story, and they were they were usually really well done. I don't know that they necessarily followed all the proper, you know, legal procedures. So there's probably, you know, criminal attorneys out there that would say. Well, it's totally unrealistic. And look, it's TV, so it doesn't necessarily have to be realistic. I just, I just like the fact that you can begin a story and come to a resolution in, a, in about an hour's time.
0: Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because I actually have been watching the um, Law & Order Organized Crime uh, where Elliot from SVU, but I don't watch SVU, comes back. Anyway, so then I tried to look up where I could watch past episodes of the original Law and & Order, and I can't seem to have success with that. So, uh, yes, love me some Law & Order. I am glad you brought that up. And it looks like we, in the midst of hard news, uh, are going to be escaping into <laughs> TV. Not really. In the world of crime dramas. Yes, in the world of, of
1: crime dramas. Yes, that's, that's the really of crime great dramas, great yes. escape.
0: Great escape, yes. <laughs> that says something about us, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. uh. Yeah, so I look forward to it tonight. So maybe you, our listeners, should check out the reboot of Law & Order as well. And we wish we could all sit down and have a party and watch it together, the ERLC office with our four TVs.
1: Yes. That would be fun, wouldn't it? A virtual or an in-person watch party. Yes. yes.
0: Eat poppy seed chicken and, and chocolate chip cookies. Let's plan it.
1: There you go. Sounds like a fun time.
0: Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It is edited and mixed by Mark Owens. In addition to listening to the ERLC podcast, be sure to check out our other podcasts. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday and its host is Jason Thacker, who is a leading voice on technology and ethics. And if you like staying informed about important policy issues that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill, which is hosted by our colleague, Chelsea Sobolik search for the Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week with more content.